The following sermon is from Faith Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Join us on Sundays for our 8.15 and 11 a.m. worship services. For more information, visit us online at faith-pca.org. This is God's Word. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, it's kind of remarkable that Paul says this, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that, from God that depends on faith, that I may know him, that I may know Christ, and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain from the resurrection of the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Look with compassion upon the heartfelt desires of your servants, and would you purify our disordered affections, that we may behold your eternal glory in the face of Christ Jesus, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 that I may know Christ. You know, these, these verses in Philippians 3, um, I'll, I'll be a little autobiographical this morning. They're, they're special to me. Reading them and preaching on them today in your parish, I, it comes with some uh, internal ache and a kind of longing for, for a bygone day, if I'm transparent with you. I can remember in my younger days, younger Christian faith, a vibrancy of a Christian faith in, that, in those youthful days, uh, there was a kind of flame, might, might call it the beauty of young faith. And during that season, Philippians 3.10, that, that was my verse. It, it went with me everywhere that I went, even when I found myself buried once again under my sin, that I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable to his death. Intimacy with the Almighty, a driving desire, along with this deep and, and rich affection for the eternal and the transcendent that's revealed only in Jesus Christ. Everything, you remember, you, some of you know these days, paled in comparison to the beauty and the incomparability of Christ, his power and his, and his glory. Those were the beautiful, beautiful days of early faith. But this is, life goes on. And then we get older. And then we take on more responsibilities. And life becomes more complex. 
So the fires of early devotion, maybe back in your college days or your youth group days, it can flicker and it can fade, and then it can rekindle and reignite, and then it can flicker and fade, and that seems to be how the plot goes. At least that's been, that's been my plot. What comes so easily in the hothouse of, of youthful faith can become a struggle to just hold on to the promises of God in the ups and downs of, of life. And there's an inevitability to this. And here's the Apostle Paul this morning in this text coming into our midst, um, aged and in prison, no less, revealing to us his heart's cry, Oh, to know Christ. What powerful words to embrace during this season, especially as we enter into Holy Week together. You, Jesus Christ, nothing greater, nothing nobler, nothing more satisfying than you. St. Paul shares uh, so much in common with an, another a saint named Augustine, or Augustine, depending what part of Florida you're in. I received uh, in the mail just two weeks ago a, a, a kind of newish translation of, of Augustine's confessions. If you're looking for some beach reading this summer, not a bad idea. Some books, you know, they stand the test of time, and they do so for a reason. And Augustine's confessions rank way up there for, for, for good reason. That the, the book has a pulse to it. There's a kind of driving desire that beats through the book that reveals to us something about the affection of the human heart. And like Paul in Philippians 3, Augustine is telling us in many ways what it means to be truly and fully human. We're not primarily rational creatures as much as we might like to think we are, kind of thinking and analyzing our way through life's big challenges. That, that's not really who we are at our basic level. We're feelers. We're lovers, desperately searching for love, or, or in the ways in which Christians have said this for generations, we want to love and to be loved. And we're pining in this world for more, raising questions like, isn't there more? There's got to be more than this. And the Apostle Paul tells us this morning in Philippians 3 that the more that we're after in this world is always and only found in Jesus. And Augustine is saying the same thing in his confessions from beginning to end. Can I read to you? Well, you can't go anywhere, so I'm going to. The, the opening lines of his confessions in this new translation, so rich. This is how Augustine begins the whole book. You are mighty, Master and to be praised with a powerful voice. Great is your goodness, and of your wisdom there is no reckoning. Yet to praise you is the desire of a human being who is some part of what you created. And I love this turn of phrase. This is new in this translation. A human hauling his deathliness in a circle. Hauling in a circle the evidence of his sin and the evidence that you stand against the arrogant but still immortal, a given portion of your creation, longing to extol you. In yourself, you rouse us and you give us delight in glorifying you because you made us with yourself as our goal. And here's the bumper sticker that many of you know right out of Augustine's Confessions. And our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Paul in Philippians 3, he looked at his religious pedigree. 
kind of pulls out his CV or his resume, and he outlines it for us in full. Can I read to you these verses again? Although I could have confidence in the flesh, for reason, circumcised the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin, he went to Harvard in that day, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law. It's kind of astounding that Paul says this, found blameless. I mean, that is a very impressive resume for any first century Jew. But when Paul met Christ on that Damascus road, his religious pedigree became a sandbox at the foot of the Himalayas. Why would I continue to play in this when I can go and explore that? But whatever things were gained to me, Paul says, I counted them as loss because of Christ. But Paul ups the ante. He says even more than that here in Philippians 3. It's not just my religious pedigree that I count as loss. I count everything as loss. Nothing is more encompassing than Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Nothing for Paul compares with Jesus Christ. Paul was consumed with the truth of Christ in his person and in his work. I'm going to enter, enter into what I'm saying right now carefully because there are some dragons in what I'm about to say. But I'm talking to people that are in a theological tradition that I recognize. It's one that I claim myself. And we may at times have a tendency in our tradition, in the reformational tradition, to focus on the work of Christ apart from his person. We can run the danger maybe of thinking of Jesus in instrumental terms. He's the one that saves us, which is true. He's the one that imputes to us his own righteousness, which is true. But we can do such things and instrumentalize Jesus in such a way that we forget him, his, his person. Now, I don't want to get lost in the woods of this because all those things are so important. It's the gospel, thanks be to God. But Paul could hold together in his writings and in his person this perfect union of Jesus Christ and his saving work. Paul could outline with depth and clarity the truths of the gospel. And at the same time, Paul was smitten with Jesus. He wanted to depart this life to behold his glory. And at the beginning of the book of Philippians, he reveals to us his great life's conundrum. Should I stay here? You remember Philippians 1? Should I stay here and continue to be of service to the church? Or should I depart this life and go and be with Christ? And the Apostle Paul does not clear his throat at which of those he prefers. It's much better, Paul says, to go and to be with Christ. During a Lent, um, I don't know if y'all do that around here, that's okay. Uh, during Lent, uh, I've, I've been reading the journal of an Orthodox theologian uh, named um, Alexander Schmemann. That's kind of a $10 name. Um, his journals, which I didn't even know he had journals, but these journals are from 1973 to 1983, and I have found them completely enjoyable and challenging. They give this sort of sneak peek into the thought pattern of a man really devoted to Christ and his church. By the way, Shmeiman's known as a, as a liturgical theologian. He also was a dean of a seminary, which means he's 
earned his way to heaven. Um, I, I've chuckled just reading, by the way, in, in, his, uh, in his journal about the fussiness of academic theology and academics in general. I just kind of get some glee reading that. Um, he recounts his time uh, spent in the mountains of, of Europe with Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Some of you may know who that name is, a great Russian intellectual, and they just, seven days alone, these two giants just hanging out in the mountains. So it, it, it's just chock full of fascinating little insights. But I read this entry two weeks ago um, from January 1974. And this is what Shemaimon says. There is an essential difference between the early Christians and us. For them, everything is in knowing Christ and loving Him. For us, everything is in the desire to be enlightened. If I'm hearing him right, I think he's saying something like this. Modern humanity is smitten with knowledge, and we have it at our fingertips now in a way that Shmeiman would have never even known. We, we, we desire to be enlightened, and we're hell-bent on the experience that such enlightenment might bring to you and to me. For the early Christians, they too wanted to know. They wanted knowledge. But for them, their knowledge had a clear and defined object, the knowledge of Jesus Christ. All paths led to him. And I believe the Apostle Paul would say amen to the way that Shmeiman frames the matter. That's true. Oh, to know Christ. Everything else is a distant second. Or maybe put better, every other facet of our being from our quest to know and to understand to our earthly loves and our passions, those things that animate you and make your eyes go bright, to our search for significance and meaning in this world, all of them have Christ as their ultimate end. I don't know if you feel this way. I, I, I never feel confident um, reading cultural moments. It's hard to put the dots together. But I, I do feel like um, our moment is a defensive one for Christians. I mean, think, think about it. Traditional Christian teachings on so many things are, are under some sort of direct assault today. The home, a sexual ethics, a view of what it means to have a body, uh, the exclusive claims of Jesus Christ, no one comes to the Father but through me. They can put Christians often in a, in a defensive posture within many facets of our culture, especially when the culture can attach religious and moral significance to what we might consider to be anti-Christian views. And these are, these are complicated matters. God, give us wisdom. We need it. But I think the Apostle Paul this morning in Philippians 3 wants us to play a little more offense and maybe a little less defense. Whatever the world has on offer, either in its religious or its secular apparel, Christ is better. His way is richer. His truths are more resplendent. His suffering is more genuine. His resurrection and his return are truer. He's better. And our hearts are in fits of restlessness until they settle on him. The pilgrim path toward Jesus Christ offers no easy streets. Paul tells us it's the fellowship of his suffering. But the end of the journey promises him oh that i might attain 
the resurrection of the dead, Paul says, our affections need reordering again and again. And like the prayer that I prayed at the beginning of the sermon, we need to plead regularly, purify our disordered affections that we may behold your eternal glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Um, it's Palm Sunday. And in the tradition where I sort of find myself regularly on Sunday mornings, the readings, and there's a fascinating history behind all this, but the readings for Palm Sunday begin with the triumphal injury, waving the palm branches, singing Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then the, ser the, the service ends with the long reading of the crucifixion narrative. Isn't that fascinating? Those two readings juxtaposed from the triumphal entry and the crowd shouting Hosanna to the crucifixion of Christ with the crowd shouting crucify him all within one Sunday. It's a kind of mirror representation of the disordered affections of our own hearts, up and down, down and up. I mentioned to you that I like reading journals. Um, there was a period of, of my life where I, I just loved, and this is why I'm among friends today, loved reading Puritan journals. Um, I can remember early in my life reading this, this is a classic title, The Life and Remains of Robert Murray McShane. You like open up maybe to find a finger in the book or something like that. No, but it's a, it's a fast, fascinating book. In fact, my wife and I uh, lived in Scotland for a few years, and one of our first things that we did when we were in Scotland was, was go over the River Tay to find Robert Murray McShane's grave. And I don't know if she remembers this. We, had, we found it, had to move all of these uh, um, uh, weeds that had grown up around the grave just to see that. I mean, let's see. So, a David Brainerd's journal. Um, in many ways, David Brainerd's journal, published by Jonathan Edwards, may have been the catalyst for the modern missionary movement. The people that read Brainerd's journal and then left all to follow Jesus. Kind of a remarkable tale. And, and I think if, if a, a modern person were to read the, the, the journals of Edwards or, uh, or McShane or, or Brainerd or, or Andrew Bonar, I mean, the list could go on and on. If you read those, those journals, we might think these people are bipolar. I mean, if, I mean I, I, I'll inflate this here, but I mean, some Brainerd like, saw the sunrise this morning off the sky and overwhelmed by the transcendence and the beauty and the glory of Jesus. Can't stop thinking about the gospel. I mean, just, and then the next morning, in the throes of despair and despondencies, up and down, up and down. It's the nature of our existence in this human life that we live. And it's the kindness of God to arrest us and to seize us at various moments in the season of the church or the seasons of our own lives, to remember what this whole thing's about. Oh, to know Christ and the fellowship of his sufferings. Some of you are about to get ordained to be ruling elders, ordained to be deacons in this church. I mean, I'll tell you, I, some of the greatest memories of my life in local church experience has been on a session of a Presbyterian church. It's a great gift and a great honor to be involved in such... Um, mud-thick realities of church life. Um, but can I encourage you all who are about to make this big move? The greatest gift, I'm speaking this to myself, Lord have mercy, the greatest gift you'll give to the session and to your church is to really love Christ, to want Him more than anything else. 
This is how Augustine ends book six of his confessions in this new translation. Probably my favorite quote out of all the confessions. Oh, the twisted roads that I walked. Listen to this line. Woe to my outrageous soul that hoped for something better if it withdrew from you. The soul rolls back and forth onto its back and then onto its side and then onto another side and then onto its stomach and every surface that it finds is hard and you're the only rest. But look, you're here freeing us from our unhappy wandering, setting us firmly on your track and comforting us and saying, run the race, I'll carry you. I'll carry you clear to the end. And even at the end, I'll carry you. We all know the ups and downs of the soul. You've lived enough life to know yourself well enough to know your own ups and downs. And the gracious intervention of God when he stops us in our tracks and reorients our vision to Christ once again. Looking to Christ the author and the perfecter of our faith, he'll carry us all the way to the end to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Amen.